You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at shf, that's sustainable homes of the future, shfbuild.com. Visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. This is Building the Future, where we explore how to use innovative thinking, systems, and technology to lead the building industry toward a more sustainable future and a safer, healthier planet. My name is Ian Sollenberger, and today, Ginger Matthews and I will be tackling the exciting and daunting topic of sustainable architecture. Uh, We're gonna discuss both the philosophical and the practical reasons why we think it's better to design buildings with a holistic, dare I say spiritual approach, uh, using some examples from one of our single family designs. And we will also talk about a few design ideas that you might consider to achieve a higher level of sustainability in larger mixed use buildings where the rewards can be so much greater. Um, Welcome, Ginger. Can you catch anybody up who missed our first two episodes? Thank you, Ian. Welcome, listeners. Um, If you're just tuning into the podcast, we've used the first two episodes to talk you through how any project team, big or small, can design a better performing, more efficient building by holding a charrette, a design charrette, and using the integrative design process to approach site analysis and research. So take a listen. I am personally excited for today's episode because this is where our green concepts really start to come together in design. Uh, Looking at architecture through the lens of sustainability really highlights the potential for a brand new kind of development, one that celebrates form and function and shows that designing with our environment in mind can really have a huge impact. So I'm excited. We, we advocate for our listeners to keep sustainability at the forefront because sustainable green building really does mean durability, which is the most eco-friendly way to design a building intended to last for 100 years. That's the goal. So <laughs> let's kick off with the question, Ian. Do you really need a sustainable architect in order to have a sustainable project? Good question. Um, Clearly, you can't have a building without an architect, and you, you certainly can't have a sustainable building without a sustainable systems, um, green methods, and materials. So at the very least, you need an architect that is open to approaching the building design with a green design and sustainability in mind. Um, there are sustainable architecture firms out there doing this, for sure. But I think that it's possible to work with some that aren't as familiar with the concepts if you have a design manager with a track record of pushing for sustainable design. Um, In our discussions with clients and investors and developers here in Los Angeles, we've really discovered that the main thing that's holding the industry back from incorporating more sustainability features into their projects is this misconception that anything new is risky 
and costly. But fortunately, there's a green building revolution happening right now, definitely spurred on by technology and innovation at home and abroad. So we in the building design building space need to convince our clients to harness that wave and ride it to the future. So today's conversation really sets the stage for more detailed conversations later in the season about cost saving measures and lowering our carbon footprint through energy and water management, battery storage, and other green technologies. Very exciting. It is. Um, you know, it's time to utilize these design methods, materials, energy, and development practices that enhance the surrounding ecosystem and communities, not cause them harm. It's a concept that is called triple bottom line accounting, um, where you take into account people and planet as well as profit. I know we've said that before. We're going to continue saying it every episode, probably. <laughs> yes, um, we will. <laughs> and our design model, you know, it's based on the knowledge and the experience that if you bring sustainability into the conversation early enough uh, in the process, there are strategies to save money during construction. Imagine that and end up with a less environmentally costly building at the end, something that everybody can be proud of. And can you tell us what's so different about a sustainable architecture compared to traditional architecture? I certainly can try. <laughs> Conceptually, uh, you know, sustainable architecture boils down to taking the building's full context, uh, past, present, and future most importantly, future, into consideration when, when approaching the design. It sounds a little out there, you know, like, but what do you mean the context? But let me break it down. Um, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the design charrette and getting the whole project team together at the outset to get everyone on board and analyze the specific site. And obviously, the more thorough we can be with that analysis, the better, because it helps us to be really clear on our objective context. Uh, and what I mean by that is the, the what. And the where, you know, what was this, what did this site used to be? What, do, what is it right now? What's there on it right now? Um, but at that point, it's normally up to the architect to take that, um, those parameters and figure out how to turn it into a decent looking building. And perhaps you get lucky, you happen to nab one of the few architects out there that happens to be constantly thinking about durability and resilience and design. There are some, um, but if you don't, you know, manage to, to snag one of those folks, then that's pretty much where the push towards sustainability generally ends. Um, and what I want to talk about now, uh, Ginger, is, is some of the sustainability studies that you performed um, and the design concepts that you considered when designing your first single family property, because I think that'll uh, be a good jumping off point to then talk about some of these bigger buildings and, and the bigger impact that they can have. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Um, we use really uh, a, a number of passive strategies as much as we possibly could, uh, such as considering the sun orientation, climate. We were also thoughtful about window placement, operation to best manage daylighting and natural ventilation, all of which goes a long way in reducing energy energy requirements for the building. Mm -hmm. So one goal was analyzing how big a solar array would be required to operate the home for the entire year, which we call net zero. Zero energy consumed from the grid, basically. That's awesome. yeah. uh, That's where the building is generating enough energy to power itself over a whole year's time. So we're talking a lot more about that concept in our energy episodes, so stay tuned. 
but to make net zero energy happen on our project, we also had to have a design battery storage. We had to design that to avoid the energy grid interruptions and potential blackouts. Yeah. Yeah. You have to think not only about, uh, how much you're going to, as you mentioned, like the, the loads, the energy loads, but then also what happens if it's, you know, not sunny for <laughs> 20 days <laughs> yeah. in a row, right? Like how are we going to store exactly. that? Nighttime. That's cool. Um, and I understand, you know, from talking to you and, and the architect, uh, that, that your architect was insistent on sealing the envelope as much as possible and that you guys actually studied thermal mass, which is a cool concept um, that can be used to harness, again, that solar energy, almost like a battery. Thermal mass is these thick walls or floors um, made of, of organic materials that, that can actually absorb heat from the sun during the day and then release it into the building at night. And that also reduces energy needs. So kudos to you guys for, uh, for going that <laughs> far. That's pretty neat. Thank you. And it's interesting to note too that like specific climate considerations might actually require less insulation and and opt for more airflow uh, depending on what climate zone you're in. I mean, obviously we were in California, uh, but even within California, there's these microclimate uh, situations. So, you know, that's that's really what it takes. You have to think about that, that whole scope and that full context of the building when thinking about the design. Um, I know you guys used other strategies to lessen the environmental impact of the build. Uh, can you talk about some of those? Well, we, we really put a lot of thought into uh, sustainable materials. So we made that a priority. Uh, we purchased steel, lumber, concrete finishing materials, such as carpet and furnishings locally, uh, as locally as possible. And as close by as possible because to eliminate transportation overload and uh, so we uh, elected to buy from companies that use environmentally responsible manufacturing techniques uh, recycled materials so really you know that's what sustainability is all about yeah yeah that's uh, really important to consider in any kind of building design because it makes me think of the like the nose to tail or the slow food movement. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a big foodie. I know I know you and uh, your daughter are as well. And <laughs> one of the big things is you use products that are regionally um, and sustainably manufactured because that lessens the environmental impact. And actually, it can bring down cost as well Absolutely. because you're not having to transport it from you know Maine or whatever, which is very costly for both the environment and and for the pocketbook. Um, did you bring in any other experts to help you with your design other than obviously the architect? Yes. Yes. We met with an interior ar architectural designer. Hmm. Um, so the, she analyzed the spaces, the layout of the rooms, the flow from one uh, area of the house to the other. Simplifying the spaces certainly helped us with our sustainability goals because it reduced the need for excess building materials. Cool. And we brought in an automation expert, believe it or not, uh, because the, we wanted to design a fully integrated computer system to assist with energy and water management, shades, window lighting, all with the objective of lowering costs and reducing energy needs over the long term. So building automation is still a relatively new field. So we as sustainability consultants benefit from being up to speed on the most recent systems available. 
that's that sounds really exciting. I mean, and and speaking of technology, I know you you guys also used uh, like modeling tools like SketchUp, um, and I know there are folks out there using like virtual reality programs to almost be able to walk the space and see what it will feel like inside before you get too far with the design. Um, and as you just mentioned, there are some of these next level automation technologies out there to not only track um, and, and manage uh, these, these various systems, these house systems or building systems, but to make the energy, uh, to make sure the building is, is as energy efficient as possible and actually monitor that stuff. So you have the data in front of you. Um, and the objective is obviously to make it easy to have a highly efficient building, which then saves money over the long run. A great, a great thing. Um, Ginger, why, why is sustainable architecture even more important to think about for somebody designing a bigger building, low income housing, multifamily office or mixed use development, for instance, can you speak to that? Well, it really comes down to bigger project, bigger environmental and community impact. Um, mm. So as we've mentioned before, it's necessary and certainly often required by city and state to consider neighborhood impact in any sustainable development or design. But the more people interacting with the building, the more important all these sustainable strategies really become. So Ian, what are some of the other emerging architectural design strategies for improving the health of both people and planet when it comes to these larger mixed-use developments? Great question. Um, and interestingly enough, other people are asking it as well because there's actually a building certification program that exists now called WELL, W-E-L-L, uh, and that actually focuses specifically, it's funny, I actually thought when I heard that for the first time that it, was, that it had to do with water because I thought it was like talking about a well in the ground, but that is not mm -hmm. the case. Um, but it focuses on the health and well-being, and that's where the well comes from, of a building's occupants and its surrounding community. So taking you know, some of those ideas from LEED um, and, and Living Building Challenge, where you, you're taking the en environmental and, and the community context into consideration, and then really amping it up and focusing specifically on that. Um, but our question is always as design folks, how do we get there? So uh, I wanna just briefly mention an exciting field in architecture uh, that sort of came from organic architecture, you know, way back in the Frank Lloyd Wright days and has now become uh, or is termed biophilic design. Uh, and, and that really asks how can we use design to increase a building and then therefore the occupants connectivity to nature? Um, studies have shown that reflecting nature in design and giving that connectivity to its occupants using certain light, certain colors, even certain shapes um, and materials can, can increase worker and tenant satisfaction. It can increase productivity if you're talking about an office. It can elevate mood if you're talking about a residential building. So in this case, interestingly enough, we talked a little bit about form and function earlier and the form follows function cliche. Um, well, in this case, function really ends up following form rather than the other way around. I think that's interesting. <laughs> Studies have also shown using uh, bio-based materials like wood, hemp, clay, can also lead to a healthier indoor environment, which begs the question, why aren't we doing hempcrete instead of concrete right now? Well, the, the two biggest issues are probably budget 
Um, it takes a, a team of pretty experienced people in hempcrete uh, in order to pack the the you know the hempcrete. Um, it's not something that you know concrete. Obviously, everybody knows how to do. Like that's that's just the standard. So some of these things are a little outside the norm. Budget might be an issue. Um, structural issues. Uh, you know, trying to lessen materials. Again, there's always kind of a cost benefit analysis where uh, hempcrete requires that you have wider walls in order to deal with that organic material. So, you know, maybe if you're trying to lessen your impact, those are the sort of decisions that you have to make. You know, do we want wider walls and therefore we're going to be using more wood on this project? Um, or are we so, you know, focused on hempcrete um, that we're going to do that and we'll figure out how to deal with the wide walls. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's, it's possible that the best strategy for strategy, excuse me, for one project could be better insulation, you know, using hempcrete or something like that. While for another, maybe eliminating square footage, reorienting the building to face a different direction um, is, is the only thing that we need to help us achieve higher efficiency. Um, so those are, those are all hmm. the considerations. Interesting. Very interesting. So yes, uh, bottom line is we need to be really creative and nimble in the approach. Indeed. So when we hand things over to the architect, we need to be sure we very clear why sustainability matters in the project. So it's not one size fits all, not at all. Sustainability like architecture is itself an artistic endeavor. I agree. Very and much so. Discipline, very much a discipline. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our, our sustainability goals, you know, for our project, which maybe an average developer might refer to as more subjective, perhaps, minimal impact, interior flow, use of space and light, comfort and convenience, even color. Um, I mean, these are things that allow us to, to synthesize our environmental and our aesthetic goals with the budgetary parameters and, and ask the question, where are there opportunities for us to kill multiple birds with the same stone? And that's, you know, that's where the artistry of it comes in. Um, I'm curious, with, with all the low quality builds that we see out there, Ginger, on the regular, uh, mm -hmm. do you think it's possible to design something that's beautiful, sustainable, and profitable? Absolutely. We know that it's possible. There are many multifamily developments as well as single family homes in LA that have achieved the, the LEED Platinum Net Zero certification. So it's being done all over town yeah. here in Southern California anyway. So in fact, uh, the newly opened city services building here in Santa Monica achieved a living building challenge certification, which is, I believe it's the most difficult one to achieve. Uh, certification out there so it's it's in depth it, so no red list materials ultra efficient systems healthy safe working conditions for everyone on the project I mean certainly the city of Santa Monica is at the forefront for sure yeah the the biggest difference between some of the other certifications and the living building challenge is that safe working conditions for everybody on the project there are mm -hmm. no other certifications really where where that's a focal point so it is very hard to achieve. Um, and I'm actually hoping to have the design manager for that project in for an interview one of these days. Um, she shared with me a study that the city of Santa Monica did to prove that the upfront cost was only, or the overall cost, I'm sorry, was only two to 5% more for that project. Um, and they really have to, to get that living building challenge certification. And they have 
really some truly next level systems. They, one of them is foam flush toilets or composting toilets. Um, and I think that she said their payback period for the additional upfront cost was only a couple years based on the projections for the money that they would save on operating costs. So, um, you know, most projects aren't going to go that, that far, but with each one that does, we actually prove to everybody else uh, in the industry that these aren't pie in the sky ideas. Uh, they're groundbreaking innovations that can be used to design and build better buildings. Um, little anecdote, she told me that in the process, you know, this was the first building that was going to be doing this foam flush toilet thing. And so everybody, you know, in the county of LA, <laughs> you know, everybody was basically like, mm, is that really the best idea? And so they sent somebody from um, the county of LA up to the bullet center in Seattle, which is the only other building that I know of that, that has these already. And when they came back, they basically not only green lighted this particular project in Santa Monica, but now they're recommending for municipal buildings across the county, um, schools, you know, large, large scale developments like that. They're, they're recommending these foam flush toilets. I think that's pretty cool that, you know, you, you have somebody who just sees it one time and says, yeah, you're right. That's You're right, it. I get it. Um, can, do you have any examples of other groundbreaking innovations that you think have the potential to shake up the industry, Ginger? Uh, our current mixed-use design project here in Santa Monica is considering an automated parking deck. Now, that, that may be news to a lot of people that that could be an environmental uh, project. So it's computerized valet parking, basically. Mm. So that means you'll, you'll pull up to the, to the building and it will just take it from there so it's actually very convenient for the users as well but it means more parking spaces with less excavation so you also obviously a, a cost-cutting measure there so no need to heat cool the garage less energy usage fewer emissions and less cost obviously uh, you don't have to go down three or four levels you can just stick with one something like that could really make your building stand out Certainly, uh, multifamilies, you know, are competing with each other as well, especially here in Southern California. So rental uh, candidates will look at that and really see that as a, as a thumbs up. So significant sustainability elements as well. And that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. Someday sustainability, you know, I think in the very near future will actually be seen as an amenity. If it, if it has, mm. if you haven't crossed that line already, we're, we're close. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and lots of great benefits out there for not only health, but for the environment, as we said. Um, and you're saving money by digging less. That's great. Uh, speaking of financial considerations in, in real estate and, and development, it's interesting. People don't realize that most current appraisals do not include any of the green and energy efficient components of a home or a building. Can we speak to that a little bit? There needs to be a recognized method of capturing the monetary value of these features that we're putting into our sustainable buildings in order to see this higher value uh, right up front in the appraisal. And, and that expands awareness for green homes. So hopefully that, that's going to be coming online very soon. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I just <laughs> read about an initiative by the Appraisal Institute um, that's really starting to gain momentum in the last couple of years. They put out a you know, not only the recommendation of how to do it, but sort of a cheat sheet of like, hey, these are the things to focus on. And, and so they're trying to incorporate that in. And, you know, appraisers are really the, the nexus or the middleman, if you will, between lending uh, 
and construction and sales and, and sort of the real estate industry, um, you know, everybody's racing to catch up at this point with, with some of these lenders who've recognized that these green features actually need to be accounted for. Um, they, they've seen the bottom line. They've seen the, uh, the financials on some of these, these buildings and operating costs and, you know, all of that and construction costs. And they're saying, huh, and the value piece on the back end too. They're, they're seeing that. And so they're actually, you know, wanting others in the, in the industry to come along. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously there's so much more to talk about. We could go on forever, but I think we've done a pretty good job today of, of laying out the broad strokes. So uh, what, what's next? What are we looking for in our next episode, Ginger? Well, in our next episode, we're going to be covering sustainable landscape design, which then will carry us on to overviews of both energy and water management. So stay tuned for those. Fantastic. Um, as always, we're, well, not as always, but for now, <laughs> we're just getting our podcast off the ground here, episode three. So tell your friends, please share the link, um, contribute if you'd like, just listen, whatever you feel inclined to do. Um, and if you would like to reach out, please email me directly at info at shfbuild.com. This was super fun. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, listeners. Yes. Thank you, fellow green building enthusiasts for joining us once again at the Building the Future podcast. Uh, Until next time, make sure your sustainability goals are clearly defined and communicated to the entire team, even the architect, from the beginning. And whatever the idea, don't let anyone tell you it can't be done. 